her fender actually hit me right here in the one nose and one part went into my lip and I pulled my head away as you would if you get hit in the face with something as her car kept driving this way. And so in a split second, it just degloved my face. This podcast is pretty awesome. The first word that comes to mind when I think about Tiffany Susan is just badass. Like how do you go from being 17 and having your face, half of your face ripped off to a year later taking a little bit, a little class in stunt driving and then doing that as a career the rest of your life. Car accident where you died to now driving cars for a living. <laughs> awesome. A few other things you might find in this podcast that I found fascinating was uh, her take on growth and, and her mindset through the whole experience of the car accident, what happened and how it wasn't cars that created a trauma, it was, it was water. You'll figure out why later, but yes, she is awesome. <laughs> so before we get into it, if you would like to support Tiffany, go to tiffanysusan.com and uh, you can hire her to teach you how to drive stunt cars or just drive a car in a stunt-like <laughs> fashion. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support what I'm doing, owlmh.com, owlmentalhealth.com and boom, let's get into the podcast. Confucius said we have two lives and the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. So before we started, I went on YouTube and just watched you driving on cars like crazy, like all over the place. And what I related to a lot was when you were taking passengers into the cars and it's like they were they were afraid right off the bat and as soon as they were done they wanted to go immediately again so is, is that part of the reason why you do that with um your stunt driving school to like help people get there yeah wow you just psychologyed me uh <laughs> yeah, yeah that's actually exactly why i've loved stunt driving since the beginning because uh i was in my car crash the day after my 17th and then the day after my 18th birthday, I was given a present to a stunt driving class as like a get back up on the horse. And so it was a huge life changer for me. So when I see people come out to a stunt driving class, I always think back to my first class and how life changing it was. And I always hope that that's how it's going to be. Well, for everybody, really, even if they're just coming yeah. out for a fun time, everybody needs a pick me up. You know, and, and a lot of people need some kind of direction in life and not necessarily, you know, not everybody's going to go into driving, but maybe that's the motivation they need to drop some kind of fear that they had. You know, they'll see that they, they come out to classes and they're just really fearful. I, and I don't know. If, I mean, it's not like we say, we're going to light you on fire today. <laughs> right. then I, I would understand a little bit more. That's a different part of the job. But for this, it's, uh, you're really... I don't want to say just, but we are just getting in a car and we're sliding it. We're taking them to its limits and we're learning about physics more than anything. So right. I think that's part of the breakdown of fear. You know, a good amount of fear is helpful. You know, we all need that for survival, but in a lot of cases we just need to fight through the fear. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think there's a book called the obstacle is the way, which I, I think about all the time where it's like, if, 
Spe- especially with fear. Um, I, I just feel like if you go into it, that's usually where you're going to find all your answers. But it's obviously terrifying. It's fear, right? <laughs> I think that's a really good point. If you go into what you're, what you fear, that is literally where you find yourself. Like, why do you fear that thing? Yeah. And do you still get that, like, the high of driving cars really fast the same way you did like it might not be the same way you did it your first time but do you just yeah, keep no, pushing the is. edge it is yeah i mean it depends on what i'm doing and who's around and if i'm by myself kids there's slightly different feelings for each thing you know with my kids obviously it's highly not competitive and yeah. it's fun and i want to make sure that i show them a safe way to be or do or drive. And so I'm a little bit different with them. Um, but every time I get in the car with a student, especially if, you know, I teach class A truck driving too. Okay. And you want to talk about something that's more dangerous than stunt driving. <laughs> get in an 18 wheeler with somebody who's never driven a manual before, never mind a, a big truck. Yeah. And, uh, and just let them drive you down the road. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a fear of mine until the first day that I did it. And I was shocked and in love at the same time because I run towards fear like a weirdo. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, I mean, that job is definitely more dangerous. And in that, in that job too, I get to see people grow, but they're going into it definitely fearful that they're going to hurt something. And, and obviously we're not going into that sliding cars, but um, you're going into it hoping that you can gain a career out of it. And so everybody's highly motivated to sit and learn and do well, uh, which can sometimes bring on that panic mode that people get. Yeah. And then it makes my job a little more dangerous and a uh, little harder for them. So what do you see people do in the semis then like that, that freaks you out? Like just, do you have any examples? Yeah. So say this is them behind the wheel and they're gripping tightly onto the steering wheel yeah. and they go like, and I say, all right, you're going to be turning left. So what should you do? <laughs> you know, they're, they're panicking. Yeah. And I say, you got to turn, look left, look right. You know, a lot of people, a lot of driving instructors will say, keep your head on a swivel. I don't really say that, but something similar where, you know, you got to look, you got to look right. You don't, don't have a stiff neck. You, you got to look. But once you see that stiff neck and those gripping hands and their fingers are turning white, yeah. <laughs> you know, scared. They're really, really scared. And I don't know if it's always that they're scared they're going to hit somebody and crash or uh, just that they're going to be, they're going to impede traffic, which is a, a big fear for people. So it's like a societal thing, right? Like, I, I don't want to yeah, be seen yeah, you, almost kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to like stop somebody else's day. Right. And it's not always about crashing. It's about, oh my God, this person's going to hawk at me or flip flip me off. And, right. and I'm like, don't worry about it. Yeah, this is actually fascinating because like you literally drive some of the fastest cars in the world and we're talking about other people's fear, which it's all fear. And I guess that's the way I look at it, but just getting the bird from some stranger who really doesn't affect you physically at all. But like, it's still that fear. So is Mm -hmm. is that kind of what you're doing with this school is not necessarily teaching people to drive cars, but just to change this relationship with fear that they have and show that. I guess, what are you, what are you trying to teach people? I think that's ultimately why I do it because I love watching people 
grow. I love when people learn and seeing that light. Um, you know, I've had a lot of students who they realize that I get really excited when they learn something. And so they call me Epiphany Tiffany. Because so, <laughs> I just get so excited. I'm like, you yeah. had an epiphany. And they're like, Epiphany Tiffany. So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty well known if you've been my student that I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I get really excited for people. It's just as I was, as I was watching that, I, I had flashbacks of, um, I used to skydive a lot. And for the oh, same okay. reasons, it was I, like, I remember opening the plane for the very first time and going, oh my God, I'm really going to do this. Like, what are we doing? And, and I, two weeks before we had to take like a class for three days, I remember I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool if eventually you could climb out onto the wing of the plane and then like hang on the side of an airplane and then day one that's exactly how we had to jump out of the plane because we were in this like little cessna 182 oh, so and they were funny. like and you did it with the static line so you had like the static line mm -hmm. on your back and you literally had to like shimmy your way out at like yeah. three thousand feet to the end of the plane i'm like day one we're doing exactly what i was hoping we could do like someday <laughs> right but then like you let go and then like it's almost like the fear popped in me and you're just like in it? the moment, almost survival mode to just go, all right, what do I have to do next? And obviously it pulls a shoot for you. And that was kind of the plan, but you're like, I got to get down safely. Mm -hmm. So you get down and then immediately oh, I, I wanted to go again. And what I really? saw was tandems who would do that were the same way. Like they were almost forced there on their birthday or something. Like someone bought them a skydive and they yeah. get pushed into the plane. But then as soon as they jumped out, they wanted to go again. So it's like, what, what is this? And I don't know the answer. Maybe you can enlighten me a little bit, but what is this relationship with going into like the thing you scare that scares you the most and just coming out like with euphoria on the other side? Like, do you, do you, I'm sure you I see mean, that I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I would say growth. I would say all people are driven towards growth. Like in your heart of hearts, your body knows that you need growth to survive. And if you don't have that, you're stagnant. And people who are stagnant, who never feel that growth, don't, they don't even know that they're missing it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love it. So it's like a slingshot, right? So instead of like this slow growth where you can't see it, you can mm -hmm. experience growth on like a sped up level. Is that yeah. how you're saying it? And I think that it's pretty uh, immediate when you skydive. It's not yeah. as immediate when you stun drive. You know, maybe that first slide where you're sitting in the car and a lot of people have this, oh, that's so cool, but they're not yeah. driving. And then they think, gotcha. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I can't do that. I can't do what you did <laughs> for so long. And yeah. I remember when I started teaching, I was 18 and I had maybe done these slides for three days before yeah. I was thrown into an instructor role, which was great. It was perfect for me. Uh, but I, my, my boss at the time told me to just instruct and don't really talk, just instruct. Huh. Don't like, don't talk about yourself, but instruct. And so when people would say things like, you've been doing this forever. You've been doing this for so long. You grew up doing this. I can't do this today. And I remember thinking, this is my fourth day. <laughs> like yeah. I've been doing it for a week, you know? Um, so I don't know if, um, I'm definitely different. And I think that there's a lot of people who are similar to me, but I think everybody is, is different in the way that they, I don't know, react to things or see things or their drive to go at that growth. But I think everybody's the same in that we need growth. Yeah. 
I love yeah. it. I, I never even thought of it in terms of growth, but that makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, I have a question for you about skydiving. Yeah, anything. Because, because I went skydiving and yeah. I went tandem because I, it was, I just, a friend of mine is a pro skydiver and I just happened to be meeting him along a road trip one day and he yeah. had to be going skydiving. And so I said, sweet, I'll go. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And so he set me up tandem and, uh, I remember thinking, wow, this, hopefully this will be a, a really cool, um, I wasn't fearful of it by any means, but I thought, well, maybe it'll be exciting for me and I'll feel it in my heart. Like I feel stunt driving and he was, he's also a stunt driver. So he decided for me and he thought I was going to feel exactly the same way that he did and all his other skydive buddies. And I didn't really feel anything. Huh. And I, I, maybe that's because that's not where my passion lies. My yeah. passion lies in, in cars, you know? Right. But it was, I, again, I think that I'm just different in this way. I haven't spoken to anybody else who's felt this way. Like you said, you, you jumped and wanted to go again. I, yeah. I didn't even care. It was like, that was cool. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I'd go yeah. again for the views, but I wouldn't right. go again for a growth moment. Oh, maybe I would. Maybe I would so that I could actually feel something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've always had a thing with heights, though. Like, um, I always felt calmer, like at heights. Like when when I was a kid, oh, my dad came home one day, and I was on the roof of our like three story house as like a nine year old, just chilling out up there, and scared yeah. the shit out of my parents, you know. <laughs> but for me, it was I don't know what it, I I wish I could put it into words, but part of it was when I was like high up and had just a little bit of fear, it forced me to be in the moment, so I couldn't think mm -hmm. as much. I just had to be and I don't think I could articulate that when I was a kid and then two like no one could get to me so I was like I was free I had the space mm -hmm. and it for and it's weird is as much as there was a little bit of fear there was much more calm that came with it so skydiving for me was always like uh I I wish I could put it into words too it was uh it had initial fear, but more of like an excitement to go again to try and master this this crazy sport because like like pole vaulting, it's so technical. Athlete, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it, it's I I had no idea how technical it was. Like you're on every plane of motion. Like you're going up, down, and forward and back. And if yeah. one elbows <laughs> off, you're spinning. You know, and if you're and then on top of that, you have to keep track of your time. So you pull your shoot in time. And if it's too late, you know, you could. Split. Like there was all these kind of things happening. Um, but eventually I kind of got to where you were, where I would jump and not feel anything anymore. And then. Oh, how many times have you jumped? I've only gone like 120 times. But, only? Well, yeah. Well, to, nor to normal people, it's a lot. But like, if you talk to your buddy, I'm sure he's thousands oh, no, of times. Yeah. 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 He's been hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He, pictures are insane. He's gone all over the world. Yes. But, oh, sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, you're fine. But he has that passion for that. I mean, he has yeah. it for cars as well, but but his mindset about it is much different than me. He was very driven towards, I want to do this again. I want to master this. I want to teach people how to do it. He also films. So he like films people when they jump and, you know, he's made a whole thing out of it. And that's great. Um, it's really amazing when somebody finds what their passions are in life. And I don't think we just have one. Uh, that's definitely something I would love to talk with you about is how, you know, there's many sides to a person you yeah. know like you, so you were a pro pole vaulter but that's not like you you know right. as i'm a stunt driver it's not like me that's not everything to me that's why i think it's good to go out and do those experiences where we grow like 
stunt driving, taking a stunt driving class or learning how to drive a big truck or jumping out of an airplane or whatever it may be, just getting out there and seeing what else there is. And I usually recommend that for people who, a lot of people ask me like, how did you know what you wanted to do at a young age? And I'm like, gave me a class. I tried it and I loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> all, I can, all I can really say is go take some classes, like go do some things. Maybe you'll find something that sparks your passion. Yeah. I still feel like I'm looking for that in a, in a lot of ways. Like really, I, I read in, I read an article um, that, uh, that someone wrote on you, I think, or I'm saying this all weird, but it essentially, mm-hmm. I think you quoted saying like, there was like before stunt driving and after, like once I tried it, it was like, oh my gosh, I need to be doing this the rest of my life. And is, is that accurate? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. no, okay. I, yeah. yeah. And I, I just, I still feel like I'm looking and trying a bunch of things. There's nothing that's done that right. for me yet. But No, I feel extremely fortunate that I found something that I love at such a young age. Uh, I do feel like I had to go through, you know, getting my face or crash and yeah. being in a coma for a few days to find that passion. So, so it's not like I came about it so easily, you You're know, right. but, but yeah, I did find it at a really young age. And even at 18, I knew, wow, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Like, there's no doubt about it. Meanwhile, my friends have no idea because yeah. they hadn't been through anything as uh, miraculous as I had been at that time. I, I'd love to talk about that, but can I ask, can I ask just one more question on this growth thing before we leave it? Um, so what kind of things do you do currently to, to find growth for yourself? Ooh. <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of it is mostly my personal life. I, I love my career and, and everything that I do, but I'm always trying to, uh, better my mental health and, uh, and be able to teach that to my kids. And I feel like I'm always trying to push, push myself in my personal life. And um, a year ago, a friend, uh, she asked me if I was single and I was very happily single. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm single. Why? And she goes, cause I have somebody for you. And I'm like, all right. All right. So I wasn't totally open because I really liked living alone with my kids in Montana, traveling when we wanted, doing what we wanted. And that was where I was safe. Uh, Then I realized that in the moment was I could potentially be giving up a really amazing thing if, if I said, Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm good. And instead I said, all right, tell me about him. And she goes, well, there's the thing. He lives in Germany. And I said, great COVID's happening. I can't see anybody anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I said, well, that's okay. I'll still talk to him. You know, we ended up talking and, uh, we are now married. So yeah, I not taken that big leap and, and done that. I never would have grown. So I think that definitely my biggest uh, growth of this year. That's spectacular. So are you constantly looking for ways to grow then? Is that just part of your DNA? I mean, I wouldn't say constantly. I'm not like every second of the day, like, how do I grow right now? Um, but but I will say that I'm a very, um, I'm really calm. Like I'm not, I'm not on the go. I'm not, I know a lot of people who are really not like hyperactive, but they, they've always got to be doing something. And, and it's mostly men that in my, in my experience, like a lot of men um, constantly need, they need a job to do, you know, something to do with their hands, something 
does you know yeah what I mean? totally get it yep okay yeah and and i don't know if it's a female thing I, I definitely i love there's books called um the male brain versus the female brain or one's called the female brain one's called the male brain and i, I read all of them because they're so interesting because i never you know everything that i do is in a male dominated industry and it's my parents and my older brothers never told me hey you're a female you're not supposed to work on a car you know, my, my dad was like, he was a yeah. wrench fixed factor. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. And, um, so I think these days, my, you know, my dad being a mechanic, my brothers being mechanics, uh, and then me turning into a mechanic was really just a, a curiosity of like how things work and how I could push myself to learn how to do it. Um, somebody handed me something the other night and said, ah, here, we couldn't get this thing to work. Maybe you could figure it out. And so I sat there and handed it back and, and she said, you got it? And I said, yeah, of course. So I am that kind of person. Like I love fixing things. I love doing things. I love, um, and I don't do it for a competition. I literally don't care about competing at all. Uh, I've been told quite often actually that I should care because that might help me. I don't, in some ways, Yeah. which people are probably right, but I can't change my DNA. So yeah, is what it is. So I, I don't necessarily grow in, the same way as other people. Cause I've definitely seen, especially teaching stunt driving, people need that competition sometimes in order to grow yeah. where I just compete with myself. And I would say on a daily basis, my biggest competition is I try to sit and read a book for 15 minutes. doesn't always happen, but I try, uh, I try to always go to sleep at, at night with either a meditation on or a podcast. On. My husband's not into that kind of thing. So it's kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> he like, he, he just falls asleep immediately. He's it's, you know, with nothing on. And I'm like, I need something. Yeah. Uh, if there's anything that I'm trying to grow in right now or on a daily basis, it's, it's me trying to um, control my sleep. Yeah. So is that coming from almost pure curiosity for you on that? Or what, what's, what's your fuel fuel for that? Um, health. Health. Uh, okay. I, I have probably more of an obsession with health than anything. Like yeah. I, uh, after my crash, I was um, diagnosed with a very rare um, disease that it basically, I have scar tissue on my pituitary gland. And so my, my pituitary gland doesn't produce hormones. Okay. So I've been on hormone replacement for a really long time. And in that process of figuring that out, finding this rare disease in the first place, my doctors told me, you really need to stop eating animal because we can't get your hormones straight animals you're taking in these hormones from the animals and i had no idea so that was my first wow the eating animals can affect my brain my mood my my hormones my everything it can affect i had no idea and so uh that was really the the beginning of that journey so that was about nine years ago and mm -hmm. i um completely stopped taking any kind of medication i haven't had any over-the-counter medications since then. Um, wow. I've had two surgeries in the, this last year and I don't take any medication. They put me under anesthesia one time and that was it. Uh, huh. The second one I was awake and that was a little bit more traumatic than I thought it was going to be. But uh, <laughs> but it is what it is now. Yeah. Is, is that, so just veget are you just vegetarian then or, or vegan? or so Fully vegan, yeah. Fully I can't vegan. have eggs. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Was that hard to do? I, I tried to be a vegan for um 
Well, me and my, okay. So me and my mom did this experiment um, a few years ago where we were going to go, we're going to only eat things the way they come out of the earth, like with three standard deviations, right? So, which which in our head meant like it could be wrapped, you know, at the store in, in a plastic bag. And that'd be one standard deviation from the way it came out of the earth. Because we were like, we don't have a garden. How are we going like to do broccoli. this? Yeah, like cold broccoli. Yeah, Raw like broccoli. we could do cold broccoli, but we couldn't. So like zero standard devi- deviations would be like we'd run to the, you know, garden and pick it and eat it like right there. There'd be no okay. distance between us and the food. And it was it was incredible. My My mom's allergies went completely away in three months and she's had a lifelong history of um, like wow. allergies and issues with that type of stuff. But what we yeah. found like, and I felt better. I felt my sleep was getting better and like just overall it was awesome. But the hardest part was finding that type of food. Like you, yeah. you literally had to plan your meals out because you couldn't go to a restaurant ever. <laughs> like that's kind of what yeah. we found. Even bread, like we couldn't do that because you had to make it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes bread has milk in it. That's right. Yeah. But nowadays it's a lot easier. I don't. What year was that that you guys did that? I think this was t- t- 2017, maybe 2018. So oh, okay. yeah, it might be easier Not now for sure. But yeah, yeah, I mean, especially in Missoula, it's uh, there's a lot of like well, pretty much every restaurant has vegan options. Yeah. And of course, every time I go to LA, they have vegan options almost everywhere. Yeah, they're so, popping up in St. Paul and Minneapolis here too. So oh, we, nice. I think we were just slacking on our driving for an hour to go to the cities to to get a meal <laughs> just make our you own know, pinterest paper. Uh, i did not realize how much i was going to use pinterest but really like egg substitutes you know and found out that applesauce is an egg substitute that's really? like, oh, that's easy. yeah so i make um so i started making like apple or um uh, pumpkin pie for thanksgiving with applesauce and then it got a little too runny so then i found out that um uh, syrup, like maple syrup is yeah. a substitute for eggs. So I use that in pumpkin pie instead of eggs. It works great. Wow. I, yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm going to become a Pinterest fan now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Think I and now there's milk substitutes galore. It's like but nine years ago, it was like, Hey, I need a, a non-dairy milk. And they were like, soy milk. I'm like, no, I don't want soy milk because it's just full of estrogen. Yeah. And even though my doctor said it takes you'd have to drink like three cups of soy milk a day for it to affect your estrogen levels. But, uh, and it's not that bad of a thing because I just don't produce any. So if I'm taking on some or it's okay, but that was all there was back then, you know, and then we got almond milk and that was nice for a while, yeah. but it, it's not the same. Right. It's not disgusting by any means, but I do not like it in coffee. So yeah. yeah. And my wife's the same way. Like I think she tried to eat it in cereal one time and it was just, not no, yeah. just didn't work. Yeah. But if you get oat milk, oat milk is really good. I'll have to give that a try. I don't yeah. drink a lot of milk. I don't drink any milk actually anyways, but yeah, the egg substitutes, I eat eggs every morning. So I wonder what life would feel like if I didn't, that'd be kind of interesting, but yeah, you oh, have the things yeah. like uh, fruit and vegetables. Yeah. A lot of fruit and vegetables can, so can we talk about the accident a little bit? Yeah. So sure. were you this, um, were you chasing fear before the accident? Kind of a, th- I, I don't want to say chasing fear, but no, but looking for that growth, looking for that growth. Yeah. It's a really good question. I, I want to, I, on one part, I want to say, I don't think I was, but when I think back to who I was before my crash, 
I was a bodybuilder. So I, really? you know, I was pole vaulting. I was uh, throwing discus and shot put. I was like number three in California state for wow. discus. Yeah. Like I was a, a huge athlete my whole life. I, I played volleyball. I wanted to go to the, to, um, I wanted to go pro with volleyball, even though I'm five, six, yeah. I was like, I can play background, you know, yeah. <laughs> look at these better. I'll make it work. Um, I was really gung ho before my crash, but not about health. Oddly enough, like, I don't think I realized how much being an athlete, I really needed health. Cause I remember back in those days, I would work out for three hours and then go to Carl's Jr. and get a double bacon Western cheese. Yeah, same in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had no idea what health was. So, so I, I, so yeah, I think maybe I was a little bit, and I also was obsessed with being strong back then. So I was constantly looking for how to, how to grow stronger, how to, I wanted to be bigger than my brother. So I really bigger arms than my brother. Who's three years older than me. I had bigger thighs than him. Cause I played volleyball my whole life. Yeah. Um, yeah. We shared clothes, uh, you know, biggest tomboy and uh, yeah. I wanted to be world's strongest woman before my huh. crash was my goal. That's great. I, I had no idea. I didn't even yeah, know that side I, of you. That's crazy. I think, yeah. I think that if I didn't crash, that is where I would be. I think I would have kept going with that. Cause I was highly motivated to be the world's strongest woman. I, I was just obsessed with being strong. Now I don't care. Huh. <laughs> I changed. Yeah. So, so can you walk us through the crash? Like what happened? And you said you were 17 when this happened. Yeah. So it was the day after my 17th birthday. It was okay. a Friday. And that night, my brothers and their friend were going to put on a like birthday party for me at their house. And so I went to his house and my brother's house in the morning. And then I left and I was on to work. Now I say work because I was 17, but uh, it wasn't really work. I, I left high school at 16. Uh, I joined this uh, school called the high school at Moore Park College, where you were still technically in high school, but you were doing college at Moore Park College. And uh, you didn't go to, you only went to school from 12 to five. And then you took college classes in the mornings and at nights, and you had a job and you had to, you had to have a job to go to school there. And uh, so the job that I took at the time was teaching math to I think it was fourth graders. And so I had to go from my brothers to the school and my brother didn't change his clocks in his house because the time had changed. And so I was actually an hour late for work. So I, I shouldn't even have left. I should have just stayed wow. home or stayed at his house. Yeah. But uh, so I find that really interesting that like I shouldn't have even been on the road. Yeah. So I left his house and I got about two blocks and I was driving straight through an intersection. And there was a woman coming the opposite direction was going to turn left in front of me and uh turns out she didn't have a license no insurance she had no green card she just literally had no idea how to drive so i think that somebody told her you know when you drive here green means go red means stop yellow means hurry up and go because both of our lights turned yellow at the same time but i was going straight and so she didn't know i had the right of way so she turned left at about 25 miles an hour into me while i was doing about 35 and uh, her, she hit me in like the front side and I saw her coming for me. And so I had actually floored it to try to get out of her way. And I, and I cranked the wheel to the right 
And so instead of hitting me more head on, she died and came all the way down the side of my car. And uh, I was in a Volvo 240D, so a sedan, and she was in a Ford Explorer, an SUV. And her fender had come up, my fender, went through my windshield, broke the A pillar, which holds the windshield. It broke it in half and went directly into my face because I was in a 1984 Volvo. And so I didn't have airbags. Wow. I did have a seatbelt on, but yeah, no airbags. So her fender actually hit me right here in the one nose and one part went into my lip and I pulled my head away as you would, if you get hit in the face with something as her car kept driving this way. And so in a split second, it just degloved my face where here you can see where it went into the tip of my nose and the top of my lip right here. And it ripped this way down and then up. This one ripped through here, ripped through my, both of my eyelids. I have scars up here too. Um, So all of this was off. And then uh, it went all the way back um, behind my ear. And, uh, that was it. That was the only thing that happened to me in that crash. <laughs> just, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, it didn't, didn't break any bones. Um, it, uh, it's so interesting. The eye, when something happens to your eyelids, the eyeball actually drops back into the socket to save what? it. Somehow. Really? Yeah. I didn't know and that. So, yeah. My doctor told my mom the first day that he doesn't know if I have an eye or not. He's like, I don't know if she's going to be able to see. Most likely she's blind out of the left eye. Yeah, she doesn't have a nose, so she can't, she can't really breathe right now. Um, she doesn't have a lip. She'll never be able to smile again. My poor mom was just <laughs> told all yeah. of the words, of course. Um, but she's thankful for that because obviously it was much better than they had originally anticipated. So um, hold on, I got to ask about this eye thing again. So wh- yeah. when does it come back? Like when? Like in a, I think it was about twelve hours. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, like six to twenty-four hours. That's such back. a cool it's protective top mechanism top. that it has. I had no idea. Huh. Yeah, I'm super fascinated. weird. Yeah. So once it did pop back out, and I think it popped back out in the first night. Like he, okay. the first surgery, he said that he took all the skin from the backside and slowly unraveled it like saran wrap huh. until he could pull it all back over. Um, after he spent about four hours four or five hours going back together all the blood vessels the nerve the tendons the muscles because everything completely ripped off of the bones so he had to do a lot of surgery on the inside before he could then attach my skin and the, the thankfully the only parts that he couldn't find were this chunk of my nose here okay um, which he made from my forehead so you can see this scar here oh yeah and this part comes from way up here. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. So um, thankfully I'm kind of blonde and uh, the hairs that still grow on my nose are blonde. Really? <laughs> my brother, um, he got, he got in a really bad accident when he was, when he was a kid. And so we got skin grafts and yeah. they, they took skin grafts from his butt and oh, where did they put it? I think they put it on his chest. So he had a mole on his butt and now he, it's on his chest. And he always uses the joke that he can kiss his own ass now. He just like bends over and kisses his chest. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. 
Yeah. yeah. My family definitely made jokes about that. They kept telling him, use her, use her butt cheeks so we can call <laughs> Oh, man, it must be a universal thing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Huh. Yeah. And then, the, and then the other part of this was missing underneath. So the skin was there, but all the tissue, everything was gone. The muscles, everything was gone. So everything underneath of this area uh, is a cadaver graft. Okay. Recently, he put in a cartilage graft right here that's supposed to be holding my nose open, but it didn't really work. Uh, oh. That he took from my ear, and there's a large chunk of cartilage missing from my ear now. But he said it grows back. Really? Yeah. Apparently, huh. cartilage grows back. That's cool. Yeah, and then a lot of tissue from here was missing, and so it's like thin, but also thick because the scars are thick. So. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. But the, I, I think I read this too. They, uh, the, the ambulance guy, the, the EMT usually, I think he said you flatlined in the ambulance, right? I did. Yeah. I was dead at the scene. Wow. Yeah. And actually the original, uh, police report, the officer who wrote the original police report spoke to my mom in the hospital and she said that he was kind of lingering outside my hospital excuse me, you know, can I do something for you? And he said, no, no, I don't want to bother you guys. And she goes, no, no, it's really okay. Like, what can I help you with? And, and he said, wow, you're like doing really well for having just lost your daughter. And she goes, no, she's alive. Come in. Like, like she's on life support, but wow. like she's alive. And um, yeah, so he had come in and he, my mom said he cried that he was absolutely shocked. And he told her that he already wrote the report up as a fatality. And so he had wow. to go back and write a new report. That's yeah. what a what a crazy, I hate to wow. call it a gift, but it, like a gift for that guy too, you know, like oh, yeah. having to deal with bad news and then like the best news yeah. ever that he got. That's, that's kind of a cool moment. Huh. Yeah. I should find my original police report and contact him sometime. Yeah. That'd be, cool. that'd be really cool actually. So when, when that happened, did, did, were you in a coma at that point then? Or? I was, yeah. So it was kind of weird because so at the scene, I had, I'd been knocked out and I lost a lot of blood and I knew that something happened to me. Like I remember laying, um, like my head was over in the passenger seat because my, the her car had actually ripped my seatbelt out of the car. And so I fell to the right and my car had landed on, on the sidewalk on top of a fire hydrant. And so the fire hydrant was shooting through the passenger side floorboard. Yeah. And it filled my car with water. So I was bleeding to death. I was drowning. I was dying of shock. I was, I, I was all the things. And uh, I remember, I don't remember the water. I, the guy said that the guys who pulled me out said I was so covered. They, they thought I was a redhead because I had hair just like this. And it was, so full of blood and water that they said I was redhead. Like when wow. I met him afterwards, they were shocked that I was blonde. And um, yeah, so I remember I, I would pass out and I would come to and I'd pass out and I'd come to. But every time I would come to, I couldn't see because my eye had gone down and my other oh, eye yeah. didn't know what to do. <laughs> like, right. so, I, so I couldn't see anything. And my whole face was just covered in blood. I, I had blood pooled in my eye. So I couldn't see. I, so at this point, I was blind. And I will tell you what, when you're in that situation, 
at least for me, I immediately accepted that I'm blind. Huh. What are you going to do? Like, yeah. if, if they can change that, then it'll change later. I can't worry about it right now because something else is going on. Because I remember thinking, I'm trying to talk and my mouth isn't moving. Why isn't my mouth moving? Well, because all my muscles and tendons had been ripped off. So my jaw was just hanging. <laughs> like, wow. I couldn't use my mouth. I couldn't like make words. Um, and on top of that, it was my whole mouth was full of blood. And, and then I realized, oh my God, you're not breathing. You can't see, you can't talk, you can't breathe. Everything is so loud. It was like the only thing that I could do was hear. And I could hear what people were saying 10 blocks away from me. And it was just a massive headache. Massive. I mean, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's what I remember was this headache. And it was October in LA, and which is still pretty warm and sunny. And so the sun, this was at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So the sun was just beating down on my face. And I remember telling the guy who pulled me out of the car, at least I thought I was telling him, I don't know what I was really saying. I was gargling, trying like my face, my face, it's burning. It's burning. Why is it burning? And I think he thought that I was trying to like put it back on or something. And uh, this guy, poor guy had just come from work and he was a painter, auto body. He owned an auto paint shop. So he didn't have a shirt on because he just left the shop and he had it. It was all painted on. So he had to turn to his buddy and say, give me your shirt. Give me your shirt so I can cover her face. And so he finally covered my face. Later, he told me that the reason that he did that was not because I was like, what's happening? Um, It was more because there were people who were witnesses to the accident who were coming up thinking that they could maybe help. And when they got there and they saw me, they passed out. He said three people fainted walking up to me. And so he was like, oh my God, we got to cover her face. So people stop painting. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Holy cow. That's Yeah. And then, so this is like the miraculous thing to me back to your, your question. Yeah. When he pulled me out of the car, when he came up to me, I was out, but I heard, I remember hearing like a dream. Um, seatbelt, word, 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 seatbelt. <laughs> and yeah. I thought was, oh yeah, I have my seatbelt on. I got to get my seatbelt off so he can take me out of the car. So mentally I was still there. I knew my brain was intact. Yeah. And uh, I had actually left my brother's house and he yelled to me in the driveway, Tiff. And I rolled down the window and I said, what's up? And he goes, make sure you wear your seatbelt. No. Yeah. Wow. And I pulled it up and I said, I got it on. And he goes, okay, see you later. Wow. He said, I knew something was wrong. Something, he said that day, he just knew he had a feeling. Yeah. Wow. And I was really, really, really close with his brother at that time. So that was really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, so I remember thinking I showed my brother, I had my seatbelt on, so I got to get it off. So at this point, I was still up in the seat, but I was like this and I thought, okay, get your seatbelt off. And so I went like this and I tried to open my eye and I could only see with my right eye. And all I saw was this flap of skin and blood, like a, like a waterfall of blood. Yeah. And I remember thinking, nope, 
<laughs> like just like that in, in my head. Nope, can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. And I went, <laughs> and I passed it. Oh man. Yeah. And and then I heard the guy yelling, Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I need to get your seatbelt off. And I wanted to help, but I just couldn't move. There I I couldn't move. I just couldn't do it. And so he, he reached in trying to find my seatbelt and realized that I didn't have it on. And so then he pulled my shoulders up and tried to pull me out, but the window had been squished. So he, I couldn't fit. Mind you, I was still five, six, same as I am now. Yeah. But I'm 118 pounds at the moment. And at the time I was 155 pounds of like solid. Your bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was big. Like my shoulders were wide. I was just a thick girl. And uh, so he couldn't, uh, he couldn't get me through this window. And so I fell back into the car and that really woke me up because I thought, oh my God, this guy's really trying to save me and I'm not even helping. Get, get up, Tiffany. (laughs) And so I tried to wake up to like get through the window and he tried again. And I, this time I hit the window with my face and that was when I gave up again. I said, yeah. <laughs> "No, <Nope. laughs> I'm out." <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it's interesting to me how many times I would pass out and wake up and try, and then give up, and then try, and then give up and try. And I don't know what's normal in that situation. Or I saw I saw a really horrible um, post the other day that I don't know if you saw this going around Instagram with the rats in a jar in jars of water. No, I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm already intrigued. It's a a really effed up thing, especially coming from a vegan, Um, but animal cruelty kind of thing. But anyway, the point of it was extremely interesting to me. And and what it said was they put three rats in separate glass cylinders, three quarters of the way full of with water. And they just let them go. So they can't reach the bottom. So they're treading water, treading water, treading water, and they're just watching them. Yeah. After 15 minutes, all of the rats, rats, and they start to drown. And as soon as the researchers see that they're starting to drown, they reach in and pull the rats out. And they let them sit on the side for maybe a minute or something. I don't know. I didn't read the actual study of it, but they give them a breather basically, right? Yeah. Now these rats think, oh, I was saved. Awesome. Well, then what do these researchers do? They put them back into the cylinders of water. And they let them tread water and tread water and tread water. And you know how long they went for the second time? No. 60 hours. Wow. To which the the researcher said, do you see what hope does for us? Because they were saved the first time. So now they have this hope that they can be saved a second time. And it really made me, yeah. And it really made me think about my crash where I knew that I was getting saved. Like this guy was there to save me. I wasn't on my own. I didn't have to wake up and do it on my own. And so I think that is what was giving me the oomph every time to say, I can do this, get out, help him, help him wake up and, and help him get you out of this car. And then I heard him say, somebody said, the car is going to flip because the fire hydrant was under the car and it was teetering on the water. 
And so they really thought that it was going to shoot the car over onto the hood, like a movie, you know? And I remember thinking, holy crap, if that happens, I'm going to be pinned under here. And these guys aren't going to be able to save me. And I don't know how long that's going to take. I don't know where the ambulance is at this point. And so I woke up again and I thought, okay, let's do it. Come on, pull me out. Well, he, he was thinking this isn't working. Uh, I have to do something else. So he took the top of the door frame of like the part that opens the actual door, took the top of the door frame, mind you, the whole, all the glass is broken out and with both of his hands and bent the metal. You can see it in the pictures of my car afterwards. He actually bent the metal. I mean, talk about superhuman strength in this moment. You have so much adrenaline that you want to save somebody. Yeah. Also, I find so interesting. And I hear the metal, you know, and I'm like, oh. So let me explain that part. I didn't know this at the time, and I actually didn't find it out for months after my crash. But when my face was ripped off, it ripped off part of my ear. Well, it didn't like rip it off. It pulled it. So it pulled my eardrum out like a minuscule amount, which has now caused me to have like Spider-Man hearing. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So it's great for things like driving or diagnosing a car. It's really great. But in the beginning, I, I thought I was going crazy. I mean, I, I could hear the electric, I lived in an apartment. I could hear the electricity. I could hear everybody speaking in everybody's apartment. I knew everything that was going on around me. I couldn't sleep at night. My, finally, my mom uh, thought, you know what? I think you need a pug. And I'm like, I don't know why a pug, but great. Well, (laughs) because they snore. So his snoring in my ear (laughs) drowned out everything else. And I could finally get some sleep. That's funny. don't they put those on like the music things, right? Like you can have a waterfall, you can have, you know, birds <laughs> chirping. What about a pug snore going on? <laughs> yeah, it helps me, you know, to eat the room, I guess. Yeah. So, so yeah. So uh, I remember thinking, all right, I, I got to help him this time. You know, he, I don't know what he just did. Pain, ear, painful to my head. And it must've been a big thing that he did. And so he reached in and pulled me out for a third time. And this time he finally was able to pull me out. And on the way out, my leg, my leg had dragged across the broken glass on the door and the, and the broken metal. And so it went into my calf and, and then he like must've pulled my leg or lifted me up or something to get it off. So the only other um, injury that I got, which I don't even call, I was compared to everything else was that I I got like four staples in my calf Um, and it was kind of hard to walk on for a month or something because the muscle was just healing you know yeah I don't know how deep it went in three inches or something but um but yeah so let's let's go back to that (laughs) yes Uh, so um oh there's so many questions I want to ask I can't even pick one um so so when so did they pull you out and then you went into a, like a coma there or? Oh yeah. Did, okay. Yeah. So no, I was still kind of coming and going, coming and going because okay. when he pulled me out, I, I passed out in his arms. And so he okay. thought that I had died and you know, cause when we have that feeling of being rescued, we let ourselves go. It's like a natural oh, yeah. human thing that we do to save right. ourselves. So, um, so 
he said he may not have been too worried or not, but he was, as I stopped responding to him. And so he pulled me over to the, or laid me on his lap on the sidewalk and was trying to wake me up and get me to talk. And he kept asking all kinds of questions. And one of the questions I remember was like phone number. And I don't know what the question was, maybe a phone number to call for you with your mom's number, with your dad's number. I don't know. And I couldn't talk. Like every time I went to talk, my freaking mouth wouldn't move because it was difficult. And I had no idea. Yeah. And I couldn't see, I couldn't open my eyes to like tell him to like communicate. And so I thought, oh my God, I wish I knew sign language. And then I thought, oh, they're numbers. I can give you a phone number. And so I signed, I, I literally was like, and he's like, peace, peace. And I, <laughs> and I couldn't see, I couldn't see. Does somebody understand this. And finally, like, I don't know what I did. Somehow I said yes. And then yeah. I said, oh no, oh no. And he said five. And I'm like, ah, where's my other hand? I don't know where my other, I literally couldn't find my other hand. And wow. I think it was just under him and I didn't know how to move it. And I, I don't know, my body wasn't functioning properly. Oh yeah, and yeah. So I went like this and finally he got six. And then I said, and he said two, two, six, two. And I gave him my mom's whole phone number wow. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully the rest of the numbers could all be shown on one hand. Yeah. So yeah. Holy cow. There's so many levels okay. to this story. It's fantastic. It's a, Okay, so also interesting on that, he called my mom and I heard that and everything, but I wanted him to call my brother who I just left because he was closer. Yeah. And so I signed my the house number to my brother and he said that it rang way more times than it was supposed to. And he didn't want to answer the and ringing and ringing and didn't go to the answer machine. He was like, oh my gosh, I guess I need to answer this. And so he said he picked up and, and they said, hello, do you know somebody, a girl who drives a Volvo? And he said, yeah, my sister, why? And he goes, she was in the crash on, on Roscoe and Corbin. And he said, he just hung up the phone and ran. And he couldn't drive anyway, because there was so much traffic that I had caused by that point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my brother ran to the scene. And when... Um, How far uh, was I, that? Was it was it really pretty far? I, it, it was about two blocks Okay. And then another two blocks. So maybe, maybe about four blocks. Gotcha. Okay. And so when he gets there, I, I wasn't awake, but then I heard his voice, which woke me up. And I remember hearing him and his voice say, Oh my God, which you would think would freak me out, but it was so soothing to me that I now had somebody that knew me there and I was going to be safe. I was going to be okay. And I remember in the moment telling myself on one hand, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Like they're so worried. not going to die. You're not going to die from this. Stay awake. So they don't, these people don't worry about you. I was so worried about them being worried about me. And, and then I heard his voice and I said to my, it was like a voice in my head. The people call it your conscious, but it was like somebody else said to me, just let yourself go. If you don't let yourself go, you will actually die for good. You will give yourself a lead to death. You will die of trauma, whatever it is, let yourself go. And I, and then I, I said to myself, well, I can't breathe anyway. 
which now I know was water. I had so much water and blood in my mouth that I was gargling and I was like, <laughs> you know, probably yeah. what I was doing to the guy. <laughs> and right. So I told myself, okay, my brother's here. I can let myself go now and they're going to save me. Not my brother necessarily, but he's, he, he's there. I'm safe. And so in that moment, I died. Like I f- physically died wow. and allowed myself to do that. Now, did I tell myself you're never coming back? And do you, do I really think that you have control over that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, sure felt like, I, I sure felt like I did in that moment, which yeah. sounds crazy, but that's how I feel about it. And then do you remember what that was like at all? Like what, like what happened after you, you let go was, was there anything? Yeah. I could see everybody from above and I was watching my brother. Um, and I, I could, like I said, I couldn't actually see at the scene, but I remember um, seeing this dreamlike scene of my brother going like this and crying and f- fainting on the ground. So then my brother fainted at the scene. I already knew that even though I was dying in the moment, but like, I remember that, but in my head, I feel like I can see him actually faint. And then um, I don't remember anything about getting into the ambulance. I don't remember the paramedics or couldn't tell you what they look like or anything, but I remember thinking that I was screaming at the paramedics and I year about a year later, I happened to run into one of my paramedics at the hospital and he was utterly shocked to see me, but given my facial scars at the time, he kind of figured that it had to have been me that, you know, he was working on. And he told me this whole incredible story, but just too long to go into right now. But uh, I, I don't even remember what he looks like because I had short-term memory loss, but he told, I asked him, was I screaming at you? I'm so sorry if I was screaming at you. I just, I just had so many questions and I, I um, didn't want you to cut my new clothes that I had gotten for my birthday the night before. <laughs> and I said, did you cut my clothes off? And he goes, yeah, we cut your And I was like, that's fine. I don't mind being naked. That doesn't bother me. But what'd you do with my shirt? <laughs> 17 year old girl right? yeah exactly <laughs> and he was like threw it away it was covered in blood <laughs> i'm like so <laughs> it's brand new yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so funny things like that but uh he he said i was not talking at all i said i was definitely screaming at you like i was above you and i was screaming like, wow. don't put my shirt and, and I can't breathe. Why can't I breathe? And I can't see, why can't I see? And I'm yelling at him and asking him all these questions and he's not answering me. And the paramedic said, that's because you were dead talking wow. to me not at all. Huh. Yeah. That's and I said, hey, I was dead. Like, like, what do you mean dead? <laughs> and he, he said, like, I hooked you up to the machines and it was flatlined, like flatlined the whole way to the hospital. We, it, it, got you to the hospital you were still flatlined when we got you to the hospital and it wasn't that far away um I I should do the math on that and see how far it was but as soon as I got into the emergency room they were able to revive me and I was then I was like awake and then passed out and awake and passed out back to this back and forth business until 
until my surgeon finally put me into a, a drug induced coma so that I would just calm down and stop trying to wake up. That's yeah. incredible. I, I, we're, we would need a whole nother, you know, 90 minutes to just dive into that. Cause, like, cause I'm, I'm fascinated. Like what happens in that space? Like after you, and I've had, I've heard so many theories that yeah. it's, I mean, how do you know what to believe? But you got to essentially right. experience that and then come back. Like, there's not a lot of people who get to do that. I, I don't know. My dad has done that many times. And really? so, I, yeah. And I remember when I was, oh God, I must have been nine or 10 years old. My dad went to the Great Barrier Reef and went diving. He was a scuba diver. And he he came up too fast. And he knew that he had made a mistake going down too low. Something, there was something specific about it. But when he came up, um, he ruptured an eardrum. And so then he was in dire pain underneath the water. And he said, all I wanted to do was just get up quicker. And so he went up quicker and then uh, his lung collapsed. And yeah. And so he ended up um, in a coma and he got flown back from, New Zealand or Australia to LA. And during that flight, he got a blood clot in his leg and like nearly died and then was in a coma in LA. My mom took me to the hospital to see him and they said, he's in a coma, but you can come in and and say hi. And I walked up and my dad was in a coma in the bed and I touched his arm and he went, (gasps) and they said, Oh my God, he's awake. And I was like, I thought you were dead. You guys are freaking with <laughs> you guys are messing with me. He was okay the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And he and he said, What? I can't leave you without saying goodbye. And I asked him recently, Do you remember what it was like for you to be in a coma? And he said, And I said, That's how I feel. My coma was great. It was like the best time of my life because it's so freeing. It's so calm. It's, you know, what's there to worry about? You're already dead. Um <laughs> things like that. And uh, anyway, when I was 10, my dad told me what it was like for him in, in his coma. And he said, I'm not afraid of death. And he said, I don't think you should be afraid of death either. And not that you should run towards it. You should always, you know, try to survive it. But uh, don't do things because you're afraid of it is really mm-hmm. what he said. And I think I guess I just lived that way. And still. Yeah. Live that way. Yeah. I know that this is going to be a reoccurring theme on this podcast for sure. Like the last one I just did, if, if you didn't see it, I talked to my, my high school yeah, football coach who's a cancer patient. Or yeah, it's like can- yeah, yeah. And he had essentially the same experience. I'm, I'm fascinated with the barriers we create in ourselves, whether society helps do it or we learn things as a kid and, you know, we take them as truth. And it seems like when you're like faced, face, face to face with your death, those barriers it allows you to like knock them out of the way and go oh these aren't real they're not important and it allows you to like live your life fuller i, I guess you could say which right it's, so <laughs> oh man there's so so many we're gonna have to do another one of these if you're down but um yeah so was it a year later you had this car accident and then you got stunt driving as a gift from, from somebody like who gave you that gift and was like, thought that would be a great idea. Yeah. So it was for my 18th birthday and normally you can't uh, stunt drive because of insurance until you're 21. Uh, 
Okay. But they said as long as my mom was out there, you know, and could sign off on the insurance waiver, then it was fine. And uh, so what happened, um, I want to say maybe six months or something after my crash, uh, my mom finally got to like stop taking care of me and go out for a night with her friends. And (laughs) they went, they like took a limo and they went and, you know, they had a great time. But in the limo, uh, one of her friends introduced her to one of her friends and my mom said, Oh, you know, what do you do for a living? And she said, I'm a stunt woman. And she goes, Oh, crazy. Um, my brother's a stunt man. And talking about Pim Warner, who, you know, who, yeah. and she said, Oh, okay. I know Tim. And then they talked for a minute about that. And, uh, she said, the stunt woman said to my mom, something like, uh, Oh, my daughter met your daughter. And my mom said, Oh, great. You know, her daughter's um, three years younger than me. And she, she kind of fuzzy recollection, but she said something to the sort of, uh, I heard what happened to your daughter and your, my daughter asked your daughter, she, her daughter asked me like, what kind of makeup do you wear? And I said, I can't wear makeup. I'm having every month and I can't cover <laughs> these scars. What kind of makeup is going to cover blood and scabs, you know? And she said, what you have to go every day like that you can't wear makeup i mean she was she was really baffled yeah you know she was maybe 15 16 years old right and i just i didn't think much of it i just said yeah okay anyway moving on well apparently that like super impacted her life because her mom told my mom that she stopped waking up an hour early before school so that she could take a shower and do her hair and do her makeup and wear fancy clothes or whatever because she said well, if Tiffany can't even wear makeup, then why do I get to wear makeup? And why do I, why do I act this way? Like I don't have scars on my, and um, so she said to my mom, she really changed my daughter in such a positive way that I'd like to change your daughter's life in a positive way too. Oh, wow. What she said, what does your, what does your daughter like? Like, what does she want to do now? And my mom jokingly said, she's always wanted to be a stunt woman. And that was, I've never once said that, um, but I was an athlete my whole life. And so, you know, and I grew up going to set, so it wasn't like that far off. It, it was just not something that I was aspiring to be yeah. um, specifically. And she goes, oh, great. What kind of stunts? And my mom said, no, no, I, I was joking. And she, <laughs> said, she said, no, but seriously, I can help her. And my I guess stunt driving, ha ha ha, totally joking again. And like, how ironic would that be? And yeah. she said, great, okay, I'll do that for her. And my mom wow. was like, what? You know, and then she contacted her and she said, okay, I've got her set up to go out to the stunt driving class and we can all go and you can film and, you know, it'll be a whole thing. Yeah. So we and did here, that. And here you are like years later. That, it's, yeah. it's so wild that... I mean, we started the whole conversation talking about how, like, going into your fears kind of thing. Were you afraid of driving or cars or anything after the accident? Or what, what was your um, mindset with that? Okay, I would say no. But okay. only because I knew that it wasn't, like, the car that hurt me. It, it's like saying that a gun shot somebody. Like, no, the person yeah. shot you. Right. Um, so I knew that it was the person who was not trained properly. And all I really wanted to do was ask her why she did what she did. And I wanted to know how 
I could have saved myself from having been in the wreck. And even when it happened, I thought I could save myself by slamming on the the gas and yeah, turning, turning to the right. Yeah. And so I was more interested in how did this happen? Why did it happen? And how do I make it not happen again? Because this, I hear about car accidents all the time. So just because I've been in one doesn't mean it can't happen again. Right. And, you know, I never want to have that mindset of, oh, well, I've already died. It's not going to happen again. Of course it's going to happen again. Right. So, you know, um, you know, mind you, um, yeah, so so I'm, I'm definitely not a person to say, oh, it's happened once, it's not going to happen again. Uh, I think that's really important for people to know that if something happens, that means that it can happen again. And don't live your life as if it can never happen again. But uh, yeah, so I was not afraid of cars, but I was afraid of myself because I was having surgery once a month. And actually for the first six months, I was having two surgeries a month. Wow. So the, the brain fog was, I, yeah, I don't really remember very much yeah. <laughs> from being 17 years old because it, there was so much anesthesia coursing through my veins that I just don't really remember a lot of it. And so I was afraid for me to drive in that state of mind. Um, however, and because of that, I, I told my mom, okay, well, whatever the surprise is for my 18th birthday, as long as I'm not driving. And I remember her getting, getting a giggle up. Yeah. And she, she kept it secret though, until I got out there. And then she was like, wow. what do you think of this? Do you think, think the accident helped with your love of driving or do you think if you oh, would have yeah. found it without, yeah, for sure. I probably would have found it. Yeah. Because I loved working on cars with my dad growing up okay. and, um, I, he kind of does things in like a, what's the word? I don't know the PC word. It's a kind of redneck way. Oh, you say and, however you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so I definitely had this interested in like learning how to do it. And I didn't, I didn't like being taken advantage of when I would take my car in when I was 16 and just to get an oil change or something. And I was like, God, why? always try to sell me on these air filters and why do they try to sell me light bulbs and do I really need these things and what are these other services and I didn't know what they meant and I just didn't like that and so I think that I still would have gone maybe I would, would have gone to automotive school still yeah but it definitely was a big driver and hey you should go to school for automotive and hmm. so that's what I did it's kind of like this uh this accident was that fast forward of growth that you almost needed in life you know it's, it's yeah um that's a good way to look at it yeah it's it's kind of wild um i like yeah. I, i'm almost i think and i don't i don't know because you're the only person i've ever known to have this experience like this which is probably true for everyone everyone can say that right like i'm the only one who's experienced life this way but like from the outside looking in you would think there would be this fear of driving cars but i think you told me in an email one time that you were actually was it afraid of the ocean or swimming or water? Because that accident? Water, because water. if you can imagine being inside the car when the fire hydrant that's shooting out water at 200 miles an hour is right next yeah. to your body, right next to your face. And I didn't know that I was on the fire hydrant. I didn't even know there was water in the car. Like I, when I think back to it, I have no recollection of that, yeah. but I think it's because 
that particular experience and drowning was so traumatic that my, my brain really did completely block out that experience. So I couldn't tell you what it's like to drown, yeah. although I was. Um, what I can tell you is that after my crash, when I heard a waterfall, I thought I was dying. Wow. It, it was just something in my brain that was like, run, run. So, you yeah. know, so that survival kicks in. And, and I, I, I remember hearing it and being like, no, 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 no. Can't do it. And I told my mom about it and she goes, well, that's weird. You know, the first thing that I'm having a traumatic response to and my surgeon at the time, well, he's still my surgeon to this day. He's done all 20 of my surgeries. Uh, he always set his patients up with a trauma therapist. And so I talked to the trauma therapist about this and he said, okay, well, let's try to recreate that. And so he like played wa a waterfall and I like had my eyes closed and I went like this. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm going to die. I I'm going to die. Like you, you so what is happening? Why do I feel oh. this way? I, I loved water. I was like, I grew up surfing. Like what, yeah. why do I feel this way? And it took us a while to really figure out because even at that point, I didn't know I was in freaking water. Right. Like, I don't know when people showed me pictures or when they told me about the fire hydrant, but it wasn't very soon after my crash. So there were like months of talking to this trauma therapist where we couldn't figure out why I was having a traumatic response to hard running water. It wasn't water. I could look at a lake or a river or the ocean. Just so it was like, pure auditorial that it was. Yeah. Because I couldn't see it. Yeah. Right. It was only in my head. Wow. And so um, he told me, okay, there are a few ways that you can get over this. Well, one, you can go to waterfalls and just work your way through it. Or you can live your life in a way that you never hear hard running water and good luck taking a shower. Right. <laughs> and, uh, wow. and I was like, but I haven't had that response taking a shower. And he said, Oh, with that face, you're taking a shower already. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I can only take a bath right now. And my yeah. mom has to run the water for me before I get in there. So I don't hear, I hadn't heard the hard running water up wow. until. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of, uh, of that kind of healing of that. Uh, I forget what it's called at this I moment. Think, but is it immersion therapy where you're just. Yeah. It's like immersion therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you just, you know, push yourself into it um, again until you're, you, you stop having that traumatic response. And so now I've, uh, it's definitely a mind over matter thing where I still feel it in my bones where I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, but you have this, sounds like you have this like space though, to make a decision, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what, that's, that's why I meditate every morning is just to try and keep that space and maybe make it a little, a little wider between your thoughts and, and your emotions. So you can have, yeah. actually have a choice. Gosh, yeah, yes. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. And I think that meditation definitely helped me with that too, because I would meditate on just like I would have, sometimes I would put a podcast on that was just running water and it would annoy me and annoy me. <laughs> and it would, it would be really stressful. So I could only do like a couple minute increments at a time, but it was really anything to just kind of force it out of me. You know, and now I don't really care about it. But I mean, if I go to a waterfall, I'm not going to be stoked about it. Right. I'm not. I'm not running towards waterfalls. But it probably helps that you understand what's happening, though. You know. Yeah, it does. Yeah, 
I, 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 I see a lot of people where they have responses in different ways, right? It's, I mean, our brains are just like an association machine, right? And because this thing happened to you, um, for my experience doing this podcast and too many books to count to read, it just seems like your brains are to protect you, right? And you had this experience with the water where you almost died and your brain's going, well, let's avoid water forever. <laughs> you know, we're going to protect you from this. Yeah. And people can have these responses to all sorts of things, whether it's a person, a dog, snakes, you know, something that happened in their childhood. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that awareness of what's happening seems really important. And then, it's, I mean, it seems like that's always step one, the awareness and then creating the space to make a different decision. And what we've right. talked about in this like entire podcast is you helping people have that fear and go go towards the obstacles, <laughs> I guess, go into their right. fear. Well, I, I think the one thing that I want to convey is because I know that I'm a little bit different than most people, but it's that you still have the power over your thoughts. Like yeah. maybe not if you're, I, I don't know, I was, I was pretty physically far out at that in the, that moment, but, yeah. you know, especially on a daily basis, if you're just to think, don't ignore them and just be aware of that. And when you're more cognizant of things, you can actually help yourself through. And people are really afraid of that, of maybe they're afraid of getting better sometimes, but, uh, but mostly of facing whatever they need to face. So- I mean, that brings up a good point. I I wonder if some people are just afraid of growth, you know, in that aspect, because growth is uncertain and it's, it's, they don't know what it looks like once you grow and there's some comfort in not growing because it's a little more predictable or as predictable as you think, cause like in your situation, like you probably would have predicted you were going to make it to work, you know, but obviously mm-hmm. you didn't that day <laughs> and life looks completely different because of it. And your whole life, you know, is different because of that. And just from talking to you, you, you seem so strong and wise because of the experience and to where most people wouldn't have that unless they had some other crazy experience or later in life, right. Where something like that happened. But um, do you, do you think people, are, are like afraid of that growth or they just get feel safe in the in the comfort of, of their lives and maybe they don't want to try new things or face their fears look inward yeah and i think that's why inspirational speakers or motivational speakers are do so well uh in their careers because everybody needs motivation sorry i have my my dogs here no, crying it's, it's all good <laughs> um so yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I definitely have asked people this question. And when I talk to people, they don't think that they're afraid of growth. Um, but I think that the the biggest one that I feel people aren't aware of is growth in a relationship, where when you're with a partner who um, maybe is a little more apprehensive to change, it makes the other person not want to change because then maybe that other person who's more apprehensive to change um won't like them anymore. Maybe that change is going to change the relationship. And so sometimes we get stuck in these interpersonal relationships that affect, you know, our whole lives. That's why they say who you hang out with really matters because, you know, it does. Yeah. So um, definitely surrounding yourself with uh, people who are not afraid of change and, um, or who at least are open to it it's definitely really helpful, you know, and I hope that's something that I instill in my kids, you know, not to be change and 
that you're supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow every day of your whole life. Like yeah, we're you're constant supposed to, change. Yeah, you're not supposed yeah. to reach 80 years old and stop growing. Like you can still be growing even then. Right. Huh. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to end this, to be honest with you. Like yeah. yeah, over the over the last few podcasts, there people have been saying the same thing over and over, which is kind of great, you know, because you're finding some uniformity between these these talks, but yeah, like the magic happens in the growth, right? Like in the in the surprise of life and, and things like that. And if you're too afraid to take the chance, you know, I think people always just assume the worst, right? With growth, in in a way, like things are going to get worse. Where, as you said, if you didn't go on that date, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be married right now, which is yeah. kind of cool to think about. Wild, yeah. It's really. Yeah really interesting how you know just you know one conversation and um i had more recent years because i realized that um i had to have been really picky with a lot of things for years while i had young kids and then as my kids grew up i thought okay i gotta be more open to new things and and so being that a yes woman really helps if you're able to do it i definitely suggest trying it um even if you just tell yourself, I'm going to be a yes man for three months, you know, and yeah. just see what happens. See, see where you go. Yeah. You can always go back. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Um, and we didn't even talk about, I mean, we did talk a lot about mental health in a way, but we didn't really like dive into it. But I always ask my podcast guests this, um, as the last question, like if, if you could, um, if you had a magic wand and you can change mental health, or people's views of themselves or their own internal workings, what, what would you do with your wand? Oh, that's so easy for me. Is it? It is, oddly enough, because mental health is the one thing that I think about all the time. And the one thing personally struggle with that I see other people struggle with, and I wish that I had that magic wand to say, bam, you no longer have addiction. Mm -hmm. to drugs or sex or whatever it may be the people that I know who struggle with addictions they go through it I mean they, they go through this every single day of their life it is a battle and imagine fighting with yourself every day and maybe you know maybe you don't but um it is it, yeah it, and the reason that I say this is because my brother who came down to the scene of the crash and saw me um he thought that I, that he thought that he killed me by showing up because remember I told you, I thought, Oh, I'm safe. I can go now. And I died. Yeah. Um, he was not okay. He he's never been okay since then. And he actually started using crystal meth in my hospital room. Wow. Um, and you know, here we are 17 years later and, uh, he's still using and well, actually is it 18. Anyway, and if I could help him with that in any way, you know, I, I've tried to explain to him that he didn't kill me and he, or that I'm okay now, that I'm safe now. Um, he literally can't look at my face without seeing what he saw on the sidewalk. So I think that that is a huge struggle for some people. So yeah. that would be the magic wand. Wow. That's a good use of your wand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I feel like we're just gonna have to do this again if you're down sometime because i'd like to explore yeah. that more too um 
I can't thank you enough for doing this. This has been. I love that you're doing this. Fantastic. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you see All Tim, right. say hi to Tim for me. Yes, I will. Guys, I hope you found that as awesome as I did uh, having the conversation with her. A spectacular person. And he, again, badass. Just, just a badass. I would love to do another one down the road. If you'd like to support Tiffany, go to tiffanysusan.com. Uh, you can hire her to teach you how to drive uh, badass cars or really, maybe really crappy cars in a badass way. <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, either way, she's cool. Um, if you'd like to support what I'm doing, owlmentalhealth.com, owlmh.com. And remember, life's meant to be experienced and curiosity will get you there. And I will see you in the next one.